You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. Good. I want you to turn in your Bibles to a passage. And true to form, I, I rewrote what I felt like the Lord was speaking this morning. And so turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37, I believe. And over the next few weeks, we're going to re-embark on this, uh, our mission as the Bridge Metro West, our vision and our values. And every time you walk in the door, first and foremost, my charge to our greeters is that they leave the imprint of the Father's heart on you when you walk in. Mary Simmons came up to me uh, during worship, as she so often does, and she said, we were met with joy at the door today. If that is the case, then we have already stepped into the accomplishing of our, of our mission. Because at the core, at the center of the branding of the name of the Father, the Father's heart is joy. It's love, yes, but his love endures forever, but his joy is our strength. In times like these, it's joy that sets us apart. I, I can think back, and I think I was talking a little bit, we had a leaders meeting yesterday, and I was thinking back to, you know, 1993 to 94, I worked at Route 85 Mobile in Milford. Because in Milford, they still pump your gas for you, the whole town. It's just an old law, and so, you know, people will drive to Milford to get their gas pumped. There's, there's no self-serve. And I was a gas pumper. Now, if you were a girl and you asked me what I did for work, I would say I'm a fuel transfer engineer. True story. It was effective. I could sell it. But you have to understand that when I went to school, now I went to a Christian college and I'm I'm good with Christian colleges, but if you have kids that are going to college, don't think that Christian college is going to be their savior. Because Christian school and Christian college is, is sort of this interesting thing where, where the, you can tell, like when I walked on campus, I could feel, I could tell that it was different. But at the same time, when you have cultural Christianity rather than um, the pursuit of the life of the spirit, and I don't fault necessarily institutions for this, it's just the nature of people. But when you have a culture of Christianity, which really becomes a, this culture of religion, you can drink, you can mess around, you can do drugs at night, and you still gotta go to chapel in the morning. And so I majored in vodka and subsequently dropped out. Now I've pursued degrees since then and I'm done. I really thought that doctorate was a good idea. No, it is a good idea, you should all do it, but I'm never gonna do it again. The master's was easy, and then the doctorate was a whole other, a whole other planet. But 
So, but in the midst of this, because of the way that I was raised, see, the word says, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it when they're old. And that's the key. Now, old is, you know, it varies, right? It varies. My brother, it took him a little bit longer. You know, he was in his 40s. But, you know, I, I was studying music and a whole bunch of my friends went and moved to Nashville because that was Mecca for us at the time. And I was like, that's not me. That's just, that's not me. That's not where I'm supposed to be. No, I wasn't living for the Lord, but I was never completely apart from him because when I was young, I had an encounter with the Lord because my parents consistently placed me in an environment where encounters happened. This is before revival. Yeah, we had the revival movements of the 90s and there was a charismatic revival in the 70s, so I shouldn't say that I was born in 71. And so even, you know, we were going to a Baptist church, but we would sneak off to Wellesley Park Assembly of God that was in revival in the 70s into the early 80s. And we would sneak off to the charismatic meetings like on a Sunday night, which I didn't like because I couldn't sleep through those services. See, Sunday night service was my, my nap time. And I snored as a kid. Maybe I snore now. I, I cannot confirm or deny what happens now, but... But because I was consistently in those environments, I can remember, and it was a full gospel businessmen's fellowship international convention, world convention. It was in a big, uh, like a hockey arena. I think it was where the Hartford Whalers played. And it was the first time that I had this power encounter with the presence of God. And as an eight-year-old kid, I, there was... I had no choice but to raise my hands and worship. And they had a kids program. I didn't want to go to the kids program because I knew the Spirit of God was where I was standing. And you might think that those are passing things. And, you know, because when I was a teenager, I was angry. Intermittently, as teenagers tend to be, or adults for that matter. As a matter of fact, the older I get, I realize we're just all overgrown teenagers. We've matured at varying levels, varying degrees, and we progress and we regress depending on our circumstances. It ought not be, but it is the, the human condition. So when I was in college, and there was a point where I recognized that I'm not just falling, stumbling into sin, I have taken the identity of the actions that I am engaging in, and I have placed those between my face and his. And I've talked about this before. There's a difference between getting drunk and being a drunkard. When you take on the identity, when, when the, the thing that you're engaging in that becomes between your face and his be, becomes your norm, then you take on the identity of sin rather than just slipping into it. Romans 5, I think it's Romans 5 or 6, uh, Paul writes to the church and he said, sin shall not be master over you. That's what's available in, in, to us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that we will not make mistakes. It just means that the mistake is not our master. When the mistake becomes our master, then we're serving another God. And so I recognized, I remember the moment where I realized that, and it was almost like the fear of the Lord came on me. 
because I realized, oh, wait a second, I'm not just screwing up. I'm not just being a stupid kid. I have taken on, this has become who I am in the regular part of my operation. But still in the midst of that, when all of my friends, well, not all my friends, but uh, many of my friends were moving to Nashville and they were saying, you need to come to Nashville. You need to come to Nashville. I was like, no, I, I gotta go back. And I didn't know what I was going back to because my parents were leaving. They were, my dad was taking early retirement and he, they were going to the full-time mission field in Costa Rica. So I came home and, and if, you know, if you want to be an empty nester and you know that your kids are leaving school, the key is to leave the country. And you're not going to have like a 30-year-old kid living in your basement because you're not there. Now, the funny thing was when I, when I came home, it was three weeks before they were going to leave and, and my mom made me stay with them for those three weeks. Like she had a fit. She's like, but I'm, not, I'm like, why would I move here and then move there? She's like, well, you're going to move here. You're going to do that. I could, she, she's passed on. I can tell any version of that story I want. <laughs> she used to text me during services to correct my stories. I'm like, I have the mic. My version is truth. No, no, no. It's terrible. So I knew that I had to come back. And then revival breaks out. But, but even before that, I'm working at this gas station, right? And I'm still kind of doing the same things. You know, I'm smoking my Marlboro Reds. I'm getting, you know, going down to Purchase Street Market and getting the little bottles of, uh, you know, Sutter Home Wine. If like that's your go-to, my apologies. It's, it's not good. It's not good wine. But, you know, I was 22. The, the taste was irrelevant. And then I'm going to church because that's what I did. I didn't know. I just, what I did. And I always had something to do in church. I ran sound at the church that I was at. I can remember them holding a marriage conference. I showed up drunk, running sound. And I'm a single guy, so the pastor's like apologizing to me because they're talking about all marital things, you know what I mean? The coming together of marriage, and I'm there as a single guy, and he thinks I'm you know, innocent. I'm back there like running sound drunk, and he has no idea how I've been living my life. But while I'm at the gas station, people are driving across town to pay more at this, because they could go anywhere in Milford and still get their gas pump, but they were coming to this gas station because there was something on me that gave them peace. In the midst of this transitional period of my life where, where I, I wasn't completely engaging in what I was, but I hadn't completely laid hold of what I knew that I was called to, I was in this transition and I, I sort of felt empty. I felt rudderless. But I had been raised to walk in disciplines in spite of my circumstance. I had been raised to be consistent and be faithful in things even when I didn't feel like it. And because of that, I'm in this environment and now the, the Spirit of God is continually being imparted to me whether I, I want it or not, whether I like it or not. And so I'm in this environment and people are pulling up to the gas pump and they're saying, what is different about you? One lady even is like, what's wrong with you? And I knew what they were asking. 
Never underestimate your capacity to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone that you come in contact with because his fire is so much greater than your mood or your current condition. But if you don't have the fire, you have no fire to release. And so when we talk about the Bridge Metro West, everything begins with encounter. When we talk about these gatherings that we do on Sunday mornings, I don't want to have an ordinary Sunday morning gathering. That is not enough to get me out of the bed in the morning and hang out with people. I drink less coffee on Sunday than I do the rest of the week, at least in the morning. It's more of a factor of time, but... And tonight at sundown, we're starting a corporate fast. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with the coffee thing. It's a bean. It fits within the Daniel fast protocol, in my opinion. It's a berry, right? It's a technically a berry. We'll call it a bean, a berry... That's fine. Whatever you want to call it, it's vegan. I feel, I feel the breath of the Lord, the confirmation of Holy Spirit on it. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, okay. Is that man? I don't even know who that is. Oh, it's Missy's phone. Gosh, Missy. Odell. Jeff's back there. He's just, he recuses himself from the, Okay. Give it to me, I'll answer it. <laughs> Missy's phone, how can I help you? Gino's greasy pizza. Pick up our delivery. I used to answer the phones all the time. Back when we actually had phones, you know, with the cords, I used to answer our family phone like that all the time. My mom would get so mad. It amused me. You never knew when it was a telemarketer. It was before caller ID, guys. Remember those days? When caller ID came out, it was so good. And then call hold, like call waiting. Wow, it was amazing stuff. I miss those days. Everything starts with encounter. Because I recognize from the space of encounter that anything is impossible. When you have an encounter with God, it brings you to the point of decision where you can say yes, you can say no. And, but here's the thing. Sometimes you say no to God and he doesn't care. I grew up saying no to God. I mean, I talk about the encounters I had, you know, I'm talking about at age eight, age 11, age 15. Are you willing, and I'll speak to parents right now, because my sister and I talk about this a lot because she sees, because she sees all the kids. She's a, she runs the elementary school. She's honestly the most gifted Bible teacher for kids that I've ever met. And I don't say that because she's my sister. I, I would normally make fun of her as she does with me, the, the kids. She tells stories to those kids all the time about me that you should never know. But she is. And I've, I mean, I'm, I know children's directors at mega churches. I mean, I've, I've met them, I mean, a lot. And what she does, we should all go back and sit in the way she's teaching the Bible, because your kids are going to know more about the Bible than you do. But, I, but she sees in terms of 
of faithfulness. Are you willing to be faithful and consistent to put your kids in an environment, even if the only encounters they have are at age eight, age 11, and age 15, 52 weeks a year. And now we, not only that, back then, when I was a kid, we walked to church uphill both ways. No, back then we were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If the doors were open, we were there. And it didn't even matter if it was Super Bowl Sunday. I'm almost convicted by that, but but I'm not, I like the Super Bowl. But we did go to a Baptist church most of the time so I could get home at least for the end of the game. If we went to the revival service, forget it. It was, we were there till, you know, 11. Are you willing to do that? And then walk through all of the familiarity of your kids and the moments of rebellion and and wondering why, you know, why they, they were speaking in tongues this day and now they're disobeying the next day. Are you still willing to be faithful? Over the course of 10 years, 520 weeks, Here, we're talking about one service, one gathering for maybe three encounters that will change them the rest of their lives. That even when they try to run, because you trained them up in the way that they should go, when they are old and mature, they will become men and women of God. I've never been overly concerned with how my son behaves in the moment because my vision is who he is when he's 30. It wasn't who he was when he was three. Not that I didn't get consternated at times or at times now. But without that initial encounter, the mission is empty. The mission is a structure. The the mission is the structures of religion. that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Beware of structures, beware of doctrines that have the form of godliness, but deny the activity of the power of God on the earth today. And let me tell you, when the activity of the power of God begins to manifest on the earth, it is tangible. You never have to guess what Holy Spirit might be doing. I've heard that over the years. Well, you just don't, don't know what Holy Spirit might be doing. And I just look at him and say, I know what he's not doing. He's not moving right now. And so we need to figure out what it is that he's doing so that we can co-labor with him. And yes, there are times and there are seasons, but I'm telling you, I am a pit bull on meat. I want to be at the center of a sovereign move of God. I don't want to observe it. I I like reading the history of revival movements. I love the Welsh revival. I love Azusa Street. I love the movement, the Lateran movement of the 50s, the 60s. I was in the charismatic revival of the 70s as a kid. Didn't like it at the time, but I appreciate it now. And, And when revival hit again in 1995, I was in the middle of that thing. It's tangible. And in this day, in this time, in this moment, when he moves, when his breath is released, it's felt. We've had people walk into this space and for the very first time without a relationship with the Lord and just walk by the door of the prayer room and stop and weep because just by proximity, 
to a place of habitation, they have an encounter and they receive Jesus in the moment before there's even an altar call. So everything begins with encounter. From that space of encounter, you're brought to the, the place of decision. I often reference the story of Abram when he's 99 years old and, and the Lord says, walk before me and be blameless. What is God talking about? He's saying, you know what, would you come and walk toward my face? Let's have an encounter. And I'm not going to invite you, let me paraphrase that verse. God is saying to Abram, I'm not inviting you into a behavioral modification program. I am inviting you to have an encounter with me. And when you have an encounter with me, if you stand there and you stay before the skin of my face, my nature will overtake your nature and you will never live life the, the same way that you did before. That's what Paul is saying. Sin shall not be master over you. Why? Because you've stood before the master that is above all masters. You have stood before the king that is above all kings, the Lord who is above all lords, Jesus who is seated high above all principality, power, ruler, and authority. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the image of the invisible God. He was God with skin on, fully God, fully man. He walked the earth to be a prototype to show us what is available to us in our humanity. But it starts with encounter. And then our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the power of Holy Spirit, and to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we meet until people, communities, cities, regions, and nations enjoy and reflect the fruit of the Spirit beginning with love, joy, and peace. Will's just saying amen. But if you don't have the encounter, you don't get to the fruit. Anyone can do this. Everyone can do this, even on your worst day. Because once you've had an encounter with God and once you have said yes to him, there is a fire in you. There is a spark and it might become layered under the walls of your soul because you begin to lead life with your soul instead of walking by spirit. The, the spirit is that space of wisdom, communion, and conscience. And the, the soul is, is your mind and your will and your emotions. Look, I am not anti-soul, but your soul must be under the authority and under the dominion of the spirit. If you're leading with your mind, your will, and your emotions, you are forsaking wisdom, communion, and conscience in him. We were created with emotions. I get a little antsy when some pastors get concerned about emotionalism because it's really not emotionalism. They just aren't comfortable with what's happening in their gatherings because the spirit is moving. It can't happen where we serve our emotions even in worship more than we serve him. I mean, look, I, I did years of revival services. We did extended meetings, sometimes, you know, nightly meetings. I'm working 60, 70 hours a week and I'm leaving work, going straight to church. I don't even have time to eat dinner. Then we're doing worship for, you know, 60, sometimes 120 minutes. Then there's a message, there's an altar call. And then we're, we're, we're beginning to close at about midnight. That's 
what lifestyle was like back then. And I saw people come night after night after night after night, and they came and they manifested, they shook, they fell on the floor, and they left the building, and they were unchanged. It is possible. But I figure if Jesus was willing to go through the 10,000 on the side of the mountain when he's doing this stuff to get to the 120 that would remain in the upper room, then it's probably good enough for me too. Cast your bread upon the water. Because someone might misuse the environment of the Holy Spirit does not invalidate the divinity of God. We cannot judge the character of God by those who may or may not revere him as such. Because people have been doing that for for 2,000 years, showing up to meetings and getting goosebumps, and they think they're transformed, but they're just coming to, to get the goosebumps. They're not actually coming to be equipped and empowered and released to walk out the encounter that they're having, even when they wake up on the wrong side of the bed. His grace is sufficient for you. And so we have this encounter. We allow his nature to overtake our nature. And then because of the blood of the cross, we become what's called tamim in Hebrew. We come like like the lamb that was spotless, blameless, not because of anything that we do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And now, everywhere we go, we carry this brand. We can look someone in the eyes when they walk in the door for the very first time here at the Bridge Metro West. We can look at somebody in the eyes in Walmart or the person checking us out at, at uh, you know, BJ's. And Debbie is amazing at this. It's just natural for her. And you extend that brand by faith and you sear their heart with a touch from God that just makes them hungry. See, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. It's our job to share the testimony of Jesus. It's our job to love. And if that opening comes, yeah, you can close the deal. So any of us can leave the imprint of the Father's heart. This is accessible, it's doable, it's everyday Christianity. From the youngest to the oldest, from the immature to the mature, from the most knowledgeable to the most uneducated, you all carry this fiery brand that bears his name. And people are waiting to be burned for him how much more now we've seen what's happened in our culture in the last week I mean maybe you're not we were in Minnesota and we turned on the football game right as this injury happened and it was an injury the guy's heart just stopped on the field they had to do CPR and and intubate him right on the field it's amazing the technology they have at football stadiums now it's it's basically a full-fledged ER And we really believed in that moment that we just watched someone die. And now you've got national broadcasters praying out loud. We have just a month ago or within the last month prophets saying that that there are aspects of of, uh, uh, Christian language that will become 
commonplace in our culture this year, and we're in the midst of it. There is an opportunity. There is an opening. Lay hold of it. I don't need that to codify what I believe. I don't need a poster boy for my Christianity. My poster boy for Christianity is Jesus, Yeshua, the anointed one. But I understand the times and seasons enough to know that when there is a window of grace opening, we better run through it because people are hungry for something real. When, when the rubber meets the road and things get hard, people will come running back to God. It's like that Psalm 22 passage that I read out of the message translation and the message paraphrased a lot. You know, people are coming to their senses and they're running back to God. This is what this nation was founded on in spite of all of the other things and all of the fallibilities and all of the issues. This is what our nation was founded on and we are still walking out the blessing of faithfulness of generations past. You better believe the generations are connected. That's why the word says a good man leaves an inheritance to the children's children. And so I want to read it again. Encounter. Our mission is to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the power of Holy Spirit, and to leave the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone we meet until people, communities, cities, regions, and nations enjoy and reflect the fruit of the Spirit, beginning with love, joy, and peace. I understand the multi-flavored aspect of the singular fruit of the Spirit, but I can't expect someone to have patience or kindness if they haven't encountered and tasted love, joy, and peace first. Because then we're just modifying behaviors. We're not flowing from an encounter with love. And so we even have these values, and they're ranked values. And we'll talk more about that in the, the, the coming weeks. But why do we have a value system? It's a system through which we can make decisions. When I talk to staff and I talk to leaders, I talk to people, and we even incorporate this in my home, this is how we are able to make decisions. The supreme value is love. Secondary value is kingdom family, then the greater community, and then excellence. We want to pursue excellence, but excellence for me is not looking cool to the world. Excellence is taking you as individuals and us as a, as a unit and making sure that we are ex excelling in our calling and our purposes in him. Wherever you are at, my goal for you is that you are not in that same place a year from now. I want you to excel. And our pursuit of excellence will never violate love. That's the goal. So we're not going to come in and hold you to a standard that I have because that would violate love. I'm not going to ask a three-year-old to drive a car. I'm going to lead them through a process of life that continually encourages and uh, continually puts them in, in an environment where the ceiling is growing ever higher so that they can excel. So when that point of maturity comes, then they can be entrusted with the responsibility and the license to drive a car. That's what love does. Love does not expect a baby to act like a man. Love raises the baby and shifts the culture of the environment of the home to accommodate infancy. 
That's the problem with, with some leaders who are, are so concerned about emotionalism or they're so concerned about the manifestations of the gift because we don't want messes. Because leaders often are afraid to allow things to have their infancy. I mean, nobody really enjoys changing diapers. I mean, maybe you do. If you do, I, I want to talk to you because I just, I, I want to hear your heart. I mean, I just walked it by the nursing mother's room this morning and already there was a diaper that had been changed. The scent was on the move. I don't enjoy it. I never did. And this is why grandparents enjoy being grandparents. I mean, you have, to, you have to change diapers every once in a while, but you get to keep the kids for a little bit and then you hand them back. That's the way a lot of leaders are. We like to have the appearance of, of parenting. We like to have the appearance of, of loving the babies. And you do, you love the babies, you love the babies, but you also love the fact that you get to give them back. It's like when Papa Che comes here. He loves being here. He loves loving all you guys, but then he gives you back to me. He didn't really want to hear about all the day-to-day -day problems. He got enough going on. He just likes being a grandpa. And so these are ranked values. It's not just, they're not standalone values. It's a process where we go from the bottom up and we see, does this decision have the marker of excellence? Does this decision have the marker of our love for the greater community? Does this decision honor our kingdom family? I love nuclear families. We need to train up our children. You need to be good parents. But in the process of parenting, you have to teach your kids the value of being planted in the midst of kingdom family. Because that's kingdom. That is what you will find in scripture. That has been tipped on its head in our culture. We have venerated our individual nuclear families over kingdom, and we have raised now a generation of kids that don't know how to engage with the family of God. And the studies often put the, put the blame on the church. I, I think there's a hefty amount of blame that we could put on the way that church has shifted over the last 20 to 30 years. But at the end of the day, the kids have been entrusted to our care. I will never blame the church for what my kid does or does not do. I will look in my heart and say, have I trained him up in the way that he should go? And then finally, does this decision violate love? And when we think in those terms, it actually makes it easier to make decisions, leadership decisions, structural decisions, ministry decisions. Because all of those things are kingdom. From Genesis to Revelation, you will see no violation in excellence, community, family, and love. Even as we pursue our vision and our mission. And so in this statement, we have a mission. The mission is what we can lay our hand to now. But the vision is something that is beyond our current field of vision, something that we are not seeing in the tangible, something that we, we believe that we are called to. We, are, we believe that we are called to impact cities, not just individuals, but, but cities and regions. And many of us have gone to the nation's. Angela's going back to Kenya. 
I'm going back to South Africa for the first time since pre-COVID. They just added two more meetings to my schedule at two in the morning this morning. So happy. I am, ish. It's a long flight, guys. 17 hours is like, it's not, uh, it's the glory of God. That's what I meant to say. And so the mission is what you lay your hand, hand to now, and it guides you and, and causes you, compels you to pursue vision, to see people transformed, to see your community, your city, your region transformed. How do we know that it's transformed? When the culture begins to exude love, joy, and peace. There, I'm a metrics guy. There, there's a measurement of the release of the kingdom. It's tangible. We don't have to guess. It's not guiding people into behavioral modification again. It's bringing people into a communion with God so that the fruit of the spirit becomes greater than their former behaviors. And there are disciplines to engage in, yes. But we do not lead with the discipline, we lead with the encounter. Does that make sense? The vision is the fruit of mission carried out. The vision is the destination that is just beyond our current field of vision. I met with our leaders today, yesterday and I said, look, if just we as leaders left the imprint of the Father's heart on everyone that we came in contact with, just as leaders, just at, with the 20 to 30 people that were in the room yesterday, this place would triple in a year. Because that's how kingdom works. There is no place in Scripture, and I would say this carefully because invariably it offends somebody and I'm not trying to be offensive sometimes I am in different ways but not here you will find no place in scripture that calls the church to be a small church I was in a church years and years ago and the leadership I, one of the elders said well maybe we're just called to be a small church and it didn't sit right with me but I was, I was not, I was too young and I wasn't mature enough to understand, but there's something in me began to twist. I'm like, this can't be right. And in the years that followed, as I, it, it stuck in my brain. It's like this little needle that got in my brain. I never could let it go. And I understood that when we say that, what we're saying is that we love our comfortability more than we love our city. And then people will say, well, it's not about numbers. Well, there's numbers all over scripture. If it wasn't about numbers, then we wouldn't have the book of Acts that said 3,000 were saved in a day. Because I don't know what you see, but when I see an empty chair, I see someone who is dying to a Christless eternity. We have Kelly Kosky coming back, who's our missionary in Transkei, South Africa. And almost every single night, he has dreams of people dying to a Christless eternity. That's what keeps him in his, he's almost 70 years old and when he's in Transkei, he is traveling hours into uncharted areas to bring the gospel to villages that have never had the opportunity to say no to the gospel. To say no to the gospel. And let me tell you there, I've never been in a place where they said no to the gospel. 
Because when you bring the real in the face of, you know, all of their, their ancestral worship and their religions and the, the witch doctors, when you bring heaven to earth and you walk into a place and declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and I do it outwardly. I say it out loud. I don't whisper it. I don't do it in my heart. I say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't have to say it to anybody. I'm just putting darkness on notice of what just walked into the village. I've never been in a place in Transkai where they said no to the gospel. I wish I could bring you all, but the truck is only so big. And then I'd be nervous, I'd be scared, you know, for you guys, and I'd be concerned and all that kind of stuff. If somebody sticks a spear in my face, I'm totally cool, but if you were there, it would stress me out. Miles Monroe said something like this years ago before he passed on. Vision gives you what is right while life will offer you what is good. We often settle for the good and stop pursuing the vision because it's easier. Good is easy, but right is eternal. Your purpose is revealed in active obedience first, active obedience first, and your passion second. I've seen so many leaders in the last decade in this shift, even in our stream, that amplifies personal destiny. And I'm okay with personal destiny, but your personal destiny is not greater than corporate destiny. It's just not, because it's, you'll never find that in Scripture. Your personal destiny is designed to elevate the corporate destiny of the family of God always and so your purpose is revealed in active obedience first and your passion second I've seen leaders say you know people will ask leaders well how do I know what my purpose is and they'll say well what's your passion that's your purpose King David's passion was to build the temple he was a man after God's own heart. If there were anyone in, in history that, were, that was more qualified to build the temple for God in Israel, it was David because Solomon wasn't known as a man after God's own heart. It was David. David was the one is, that said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. David was the, the, the king the warrior king who would leave all the weapons of his warfare behind just to be in the presence of God. David was the king who called God father of Israel. He understood the family dynamic that God was after. He had a passion for the presence of God. But it wasn't the purpose that God gave him. As he walked out in active obedience to what he was called to do, he discovered his purpose and he fulfilled it. When he ceased walking in active obedience, he fell into sin. At the same time, often you must walk through the good while you walk toward what is right. There will be seasons where you must stand in the furnace before you walk in your purpose. And from the time that I was touched by revival, man, I had a passion for it. 
It's all I wanted to do. There was something in me that knew from a very young age that I was going to be in vocational ministry. It wasn't even necessarily my passion, but it was just this knowing. I love business. I love making money. But I understood my purpose. So there was this time in my, my 20s where I worked a job. I was in management in several offices in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, while pursuing his presence and the manifestation of revival. That's what I was talking about. Man, I was working six days a week, 60, 70 hours a week. And there were times in the midst between 1995 and, and 2000, 2001, that we were doing church services every night. But I still had to walk through this process. I had to walk through the good to get to purpose. Besides the fact that the word says, if you don't work, you don't eat. I could have said, you know, hey, I'm called by God, and so I'm going to quit my job and just wait for him to come. We do that with prophetic words sometimes. Someone gives us a prophetic word, and then we're just waiting for the manifestation of it when the whole idea is that we're supposed to co-labor with the word of God. That's why we read the Bible. It's not so the Bible can do the work for us. It's so that we can learn through our application how to co-labor with God to bring his kingdom down to earth. So while I was walking through the good and I, understanding that somehow I'm going to get from point A to point Z. It's what I call Z revelation. I don't want to go on that bunny trail, but a lot of times we get a revelation. I met with so many people that they get this huge revelation. Oh, God's going to give me a million dollar house or God's going to do this. He's going to give me this ministry. He's going to do that. And we have the Z revelation, but we don't want to go through the ABCs to get to Z. We're just, we stop and we're waiting for Z to appear before us. And that is most often not how God works. I want to say never, but I try to stay, because God does whatever he pleases. As soon as you say never, that God never does something, he's like, eh, I'm just going to do that just to mess with you. So while I was working this job, and let me tell you, and I've said it before, the last place that I worked in, and I, I'm always hesitant because I know some, some of them watch the live streams. My old boss watches the live stream on occasion. So I'm careful now. I used to be careful because of my mom. Now I'm careful for other reasons. But the last facility I worked, I mean, a lot of those people I didn't even like. Did I love them with the love of the Lord? Yeah. Even my boss was like, I think you just need to fire everybody and rebuild. But that wasn't my nature. I didn't, I didn't want to cut bait. I wanted to develop people. Because I believed that while the Lord was leading me from A to Z, that I was in this process to demonstrate, to leave the imprint of the Father's heart, to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit and take people who wouldn't even say yes to him, but transform their lives from being ineffective to effective in their vocations. There was one girl that the division vice president told me to fire. He just said, you gotta fire her. And I said, I'm not gonna fire her. Watch what happens. And I should have fired her. She was barely, barely literate. She wasn't very good at her job. She was a mess of a human, 
but it brought focus to me in that moment. And plus I'm just sort of, I, I, I am still have this natural twinge of rebellion maybe a little bit, but it's sort of, it's sort of redeemed now. I have this redeemed state of rebellion. And so I was like, watch what happens. Took that girl who was a mess and she went from being on the cusp of being fired to being customer service rep of, of the year in a company of 15,000 people. And then after I left, they promoted her and it was the Peter principle. She shouldn't have been promoted in that position. She didn't do so well. But this is what we're called to do in these environments. And some of those days on my worst days on my crankiest days in the face of, in, in, in the midst of people that I wasn't even sure that I liked, his power was perfected in weakness. And because this brand of the father's name was in my heart, it would extend and touch people everywhere that I went. To the point where the day that I left that job, knowing that I was transitioning, I wasn't at Z yet, but maybe I was at EFG in the alphabet. And I was transitioning to my family's business before I ended up in vocational ministry. They wept the day that I was leaving. And I didn't even think they liked me. But sometimes the love of God is so much greater than your mood, your circumstance, and the facial expression that you think you're exuding, that people are being transformed around you and you don't even know it. In that season, man, my passion was music. And honestly, initially, it, my passion was music before it was even worship. The church I was going to, you know, as a teenager, they did a lot of Southern gospel worship. I didn't mind doing that. I liked the harmonies. I did some of it. I know it's hard to, to imagine if you never, you know, watch the Gaithers or anything like that. I mean, I did some of that stuff. I liked the harmonies. That was my passion. And so I didn't have a construct for worship. But I had a passion for music. But in that time, that wasn't my fulfilled purpose. God was taking me through a furnace. He was taking me through a process. He was showing me, you know, there's this thing called revival, renewal, and reformation, and that is, that is uh, rev that's Z revelation, but I've got to fashion your character to see that, if, to make sure that your character can support what it is that I want to do in your life. Will you walk in patient endurance in those seasons of the fiery furnace to get to the other side where Jesus will walk you out into your purpose? So my passion was for worship and presence, but my purpose was to leave the fiery brand of the Father's love in Christ Jesus upon everyone that I came in contact with in spite of my circumstance and moods. I will keep talking about that because we become a slave to our circumstance. We become a slave to our mood, but he has offered us this gift that I call the eternal mindset that will allow you to see through the momentary afflictions that surely will come in life. You are not under ever you are always seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even if you're in a prison at midnight. And then this idea of convergence comes, and the convergence comes when, when your passions and your purpose intertwine. Convergence comes on the other side of protracted obedience and endurance. Convergence comes when your passion shifts as you dwell in the presence. 
And that's where we get to our text. Psalm 37, four, you've all heard it before. Most of you says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you. Let's talk about that. He will give you, he will assign to you. He will implant within you the desires that are in your heart. That means that as you delight in yourself in the Lord, the desires that you had before will likely shift and change. This is why I can't look at a young person who's asking me and saying, you know, how do I find my purpose? I'm not going to look at you and say, well, what's your passion? It's a very cultural thing to ask. I understand that. But your passion as it is now may not be the purpose and passion that you have on the other side of not just encounter, but protracted obedience and walking inside the sacred space of the name of God. Everything changes in his presence. When I was a teenager, my passion was to be a rock star. On the other side of encounter, my passion was to say better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I cast aside selfish ambition and vain conceit and I just want to pursue your presence. I wasn't even a worship leader. I was just a worshiper that had to do it in front of people. Had to lay bare my, my deepest intimate moments with God and engage with him in that way in front of people in such a way that I, I, there were times that I almost resented it because I felt like, I would, like David danced. People always prophesied when I was in my 20s that someday you're going to dance as, as David danced. Like, first of all, you don't want that. I understand the sentiment, but, you know, whether, you know, the, the scholarly debate of whether he was naked or he was just wearing kind of sheer linens... You don't want that. Especially now, guys, I'm not getting any younger. But the idea of presenting yourself bare before God, where you just lay it all on the table. Man, my, the way that I worship was so vertical. There was even a season of time. I'm telling you, you've got to look at me and either decide this is true or I'm crazy. But there was about a two-year season of time where this haze would come up in front of me while I worshiped that I didn't even see people. I didn't even know what was going on in front of me. People would ask me, were you okay with my dancing? And the word, I didn't even see you. And I remember asking the Lord, what does this mean? Why, what is, I don't understand what this is about. And he said, I don't want you to change what you're doing on the, based on the approval of man. And I don't want you to change what you're doing based on the disapproval of man. I want you to follow the breath. And so he trained me to engage with him in this vertical sense that created this atmosphere that people could make the decision to walk into. Nobody made you do it, but he was there. And so you could decide, do I want to worship with reckless abandon like this guy? Do I really want to have an encounter so that I have a fire to export? Do I really want to get singed in that flame so that I'm marked for God the rest of my life and I can never live life the way that I lived it before? It's an environment. It's, there's this capacity that you can walk into, but nobody's going to make you do it. He gives you the invitation, and he's hoping, he's leading with his goodness. He's leading with his love in such a way so that he's hoping that you will say yes to him and walk in the center of his sovereign move of God. That will cost you something. Salvation is free, but overcoming is an option. 
Make his presence your passion and he will make your purpose plain. What is my scripture for Psalm, for, for 2023? It's Psalm 37, one through 11. It makes so much sense for the time and season that we're in. Do not fret because of evildoers. I, I don't have time to preach through this whole thing. And that wasn't even the plan. I was just gonna read it and throw it down and read it passionately, but I, I can't tell you how many people in the last two or three years that have been fretting because of evildoers. They've been fretting because of the conditions on the earth. We, you don't have to. That's a choice that you make. When you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, you can understand the condition that's on the earth, but you can also understand your purpose in the midst of it. Great darkness will cover the earth. It's in scripture, but arise and shine for your light has come and nations will be drawn to the brightness of your being. The brightness of your being is irrelevant if it's not placed in the midst of darkness. He set a table before you in the presence of the enemy. That means you gotta go through the presence of the enemy to get to the table. You might walk through valleys of the shadow of death, but you, you don't have to fear any evil because God is with you. Just keep walking. Psalm 37, one through 11, do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they, will, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. There's a little bit of righteous indignation that rises up in me because we are not faithful in what we perceive to be optional. I pray that the Lord removes kingdom options off of your table and that you learn faithfulness in a land that does not revere it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Don't tell me that God doesn't want to bless you. humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Don't ask him to humble you. You do it. Believe me, you do not want the hand of the Lord to humble you when he's given you the capacity to do it yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. God, we come to you from the sacred space of the name Jesus. 
The breaker has gone before us. He made a way when there was no way. By the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, the wounds in his hands and his feet, the spear in his side, a crown of thorns mocking him and forced upon his head in unimaginable physical suffering and rejection flowing from those he came to save. Jesus, you made a way. You reconciled us back to the Father and you left in the wake of your exit from this earth the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counselor. And you have now taken up residence inside those who say yes to you and place you on the thrones of our soul. Come, Holy Spirit, on this January 8th, as a window opens into new beginnings, in the midst of calamity, you hide us under the shelter of your wing. And things are blowing up all around us in culture. You place us in a Holy Spirit bomb shelter. The conditions of the world are what they are, but you are who you are. And you said, I am that I am. I was, I am, I will be. You are God. Your name is yod heh vav Elohim, Yeshua, the anointed one, Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit who is holy. You are God. And there is no other way to the Father but through Jesus. I thank you for that gift. And you're still calling to us. You're still entreating to us. Would you walk toward my face? Would you walk toward the, the fiery flame of my gaze, of my eyes, and allow my nature to overtake your nature? Would you confess your sin before me, says the Lord? I am faithful. I will forgive you. My mercies are new every morning. My grace is sufficient to cover even your, the worst affliction of your soul. Every addiction null and void under the power of the cross. Giving you a new name, a new identity. Every illness must bow the illness of the body, the illness of the mind. Where there is depression, I speak joy. Where there is anxiety, I speak peace. When you are in Christ, that thing might be on you, but it is not you. It is not yours. It's not your possession. It is not your identity. You are in Christ Jesus. And so we eradicate every work of darkness off of your lives. We hate the power of sin and death. And the cross came, Jesus came, so that you would no longer be a slave to those things, but that you would be seated victoriously in him, in Christ Jesus. So no longer identify with the things that you've been set free from. Step out of those chains. And though you may stumble along the way, He will make you new. 
trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Dwell in the mundane, everyday things of life and cultivate faithfulness. And that fiery brand of the Father's heart will grow ever greater, ever stronger. It will be driven even deeper into the hearts of people that you come in contact with. And it may be, may even come in the form of a woman who stands in the center of a town holding a sign saying, kindness matters. Because that happens to be a flavor of the fruit of the Spirit. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of a little brand. Because the Holy Spirit is working on you like a blacksmith, hammering away at your heart with the fiery, the molten steel of His presence to guide you from good to what is right. Divine purpose, divine mission, divine calling. You may be at letter A, but keep walking, keep moving. Z is coming. Revelation is Z. It's before you, but dwell in the land. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Cultivate faithfulness. Then delight yourself in the Lord and watch how the desires of your heart come into alignment with His. I'm speaking to you and I'm prophesying over you. There is a window of grace in the land right now the wicked flee though no one pursues but the righteous are bold as a lion bust through that window bust through that door into 2023 this is that time this is your time we're on the other side of a furnace and now we are walking toward purpose and we are on the cusp of a greater efficiency in the kingdom than what we have ever experienced as the Bridge Metro West before. Picture your heart right now in the midst of all your fallibility, in the midst of all the failures that even only you know, and picture in your heart the grace gift of this fiery brand of the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy that bears the name of the Father beauty of his heart flowing from yours when you say yes to Jesus that gift is yours and man it is powerful it is mighty for the tearing down of strongholds systems of logic in your minds and in the minds of mankind that are built upon lies that we believe to be true those strongholds will be torn down as a temple is rising the earth and the glory of God will fill the temple again. You 
feel the vibration of the spirit realm right now in you, over you, and upon you. Some of you are beginning to, to vibrate even from the inside out. This is the mission. It's that fiery brand that's beginning to vibrate with the flame of God. And he's calling you as you go forth from this place to extend that thing, in, even in simplicity, even with a glance of love, a glance of joy, that people will be drawn to the brightness of your being because that fire is set ablaze in your heart. It's, it's so much greater than your pain. It's so much greater than any oppression that comes upon you or any depression that might seek to cling to you. His power is perfected even in your weakness and he will get the glory. Oh, God, would you expand the capacity within us to contain more of you, more of you, Holy Spirit, more of you in me that I might co-labor with you to bring kingdom on earth and I extend my hand in this place and I declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, I ask in all grace and mercy, would you step into this room and would you strike the ground of Metro West with the vibration of your footprint in this place. Salvation, healing, deliverance. Oh, look out New England. Look out United States of America. Look out world. He is catching up the church to what he's been after all along. Revival, renewal, reformation. It's the kingdom of God on earth flowing through the hands of the sons and the daughters from the weakest to the strongest, from the babes to the most mature. It's one kingdom, one Holy Spirit, one holy baptism in Christ Jesus. Fire fall down, fire fall down. I speak a release of that corporate glory in this room and even through the live stream right now, tangible glory, tangible fire, a fresh baptism of fire, a fresh baptism of love. We cannot export what we do not possess. Oh, we need a fresh touch. Give us this day our daily bread, not yesterday's bread, not yesterday's move, but fresh testimonies of Jesus manifesting through our lives, even today, even this week. Oh, and it starts today, January 8th, 2023. Here we go. Here we go, Lord. Here we go, Lord. Here we go, Lord. Move, breathe, blow, winds blow, and fire fall down. Lift your voice this morning in this place. Oh, begin to shout unto God. Pray in the Spirit. Pray with understanding. Call upon Him while He is near. Fire fall down. Fire fall down. Glory, kabod. Glory, kabod. Glory, weighty kabod. Oh, this world needs glory carriers. Christ in us, the hope, the assurance, the guarantee, the seal of the glory of God on earth. Oh, call upon his name this morning. It starts with the sound. It starts with the sound. It starts with the sound. Yes, we say yes to you today. I say yes to you today. I say yes to you today. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. King Jesus. King Jesus. King Jesus. King Jesus. God, I pray that we would aggressively 
approach this fast that begins tonight at sundown corporately making a decision to release something of comfort from our lives reminding our soul what our spirit lost in the garden a lifestyle of being sustained by the glory of God you will sustain us over these 21 days you will bring breakthrough and we will make the choice to walk and follow through here and you might be online you don't know him like this I want to introduce you because I'm telling you there's nothing there's nothing better it doesn't matter what condition of life you're in right now what you've been doing what happened last night what happened last week his grace and his mercy is here for you right now and he is calling your name God of creation who spoke light into darkness who called things that were not as though they were and they came to be why because he is God and he is creative and he loves you and he knows the hairs on your head and he knows your name he sees you as you are and still he says would you come I got this would you come let me transform you. So we're going to pray a prayer together. And we're going to do a couple things, receive communion, we're going to receive an offering and then open up the altar space. But would you pray this prayer today? It's, it's not a magic trick. It's, it's just a marker. And I want to agree with you. I want to stand with you as you make Jesus wants to be your friend but he also is a king of glory and he wants to be the primary authority in your life that's the gateway to the father that's the gateway of this joy that will be your strength even in times of trouble and you do not want to die to a Christless eternity when he made the way he gave it all so that you could inherit it all so let's pray this prayer together would you guys all pray after me God, I want to know you. I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and turn toward your way. Would you please reveal your love to me now? And I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing me and honoring my request. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidgery is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.